Welcome everyone to the Top Producer Podcast. I am Paul Neefe, your host, and today we're going to have a conversation with Tiffany Dow-Lashnet from Texas A&M. Now, did I pronounce that all correctly, Tiffany, or did I mess it up? You did, Paul. You got it right. Okay, because uh, with my last name, I've had it I've had it pronounced, I'm going to say about 17 different ways. So, uh, but uh, right. uh, now you're with Texas A&M, but you're not based in College Station. You're based in Amarillo. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So when I started my job at Texas A&M, I was on campus in College Station, uh, but about a year and a half in, I was getting married to a guy from the Panhandle and I grew up uh, in Eastern New Mexico, kind of just across the state line. And yeah. so- it was a chance to come home and Texas A&M let me be based here at our Amarillo uh, Research and Extension Center. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, when we do these podcasts, we'll always like to start off with your background. So we we know where you're at now, but let's go. And you sort of mentioned where you grew up, but let's uh, expand on that a little bit, uh, where you grew up and college and all that good stuff. Sure, yeah. So I grew up, uh, like I say, in eastern New Mexico, um, kind of between the towns of Tucumcari and Logan on my family's farm and ranch. Uh, so grew up involved in the ag industry, uh, you know, did 4-H and FFA and, yeah. you know, all showing and judging contests and public speaking contests, all that. Um, in particular, my family's got a show lamb operation there in New Mexico that I'm still really involved with. And so grew up with that being a big part of my story. Um, I went to college initially. I went a year to a junior college in Kansas where I was on the livestock judging team. Which one was that? Garden City or different? Uh, Dodge City. Dodge City. Well, I was close. Uh, they were right. pretty That's close. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did a year there, and the way junior college judging works is you get one year of eligibility, and due to some circumstances uh, with our team, I used my year of eligibility as a freshman, and so then I transferred to Oklahoma State. Um, loved it in Stillwater. It was a fantastic experience. And I left there with a, a agribusiness farm and ranch management degree. Okay. Um, while I was in school at Oklahoma State, you know, the time sort of came to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I didn't really know. Uh, but I always made pretty good grades. And somebody said, well, what about law school? And I thought, well, maybe, why not? <laughs> and so kind of started looking into that. I joined a like a pre-law group there at Oklahoma State and took my LSAT and things like that um, and ended up going to law school at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. Okay. Um, which was also another great experience. I really loved UNM. Um, my other student, the other students that were there just had a great experience um, uh, there. And so I graduated with my law degree in 2009 um, while I was in law school, I was a summer law clerk. So essentially, you know, had a summer job. Yep. Uh, one summer at a law firm in Albuquerque called Pfeiffer Hansen and Mullins. And then a second summer, I was at a big international firm in San Francisco. And so came out of law school with job offers from both of those firms and chose the firm in Albuquerque. Uh, went there and practiced civil litigation for about four years and kind of learned to be a lawyer. Uh, and at that point, I had an email come across my desk that was uh, announcing a position opening for an ag law specialist at Texas A&M. And so uh, you probably couldn't have drawn up a better description of what might be my dream job than yep. this. Yeah. Um, yep. And so that's how I ended up here. Okay. Okay. So you moved to Texas A&M, what, about four or five years ago? So I actually, I moved to College Station about 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Okay. Uh -huh. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then you were there until you moved up to Amarillo just a couple of years ago. 
so well, if it feels, let me think. I was there for about two years, so I've been in Amarillo for about eight years now. Oh well, then, uh, and Amar, and yeah, I have not been to College Station yet. I've been to Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, and Amarillo multiple times. Lubbock, uh, Odessa. I've been, I, I haven't been to all of Texas. I haven't been to El Paso yet, but I've been to quite a bit. So what's the key differences between Amarillo and College Station? Uh, the humidity. Okay. Uh, I'm, the guessing, I'm guessing Texas or College Station a lot more humid and there's a lot more college students in College Station. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people it's the humidity and the Aggies are what's different <laughs> uh, in College Station. Oh, I really, I loved College Station. Um, you know, it's bigger than like Stillwater where I went to college, but it still has a real college town feel to it. Uh, but yeah, you know, you're down not too far from the coast. And so it is extremely humid. There are a lot of trees. Uh, so pretty different atmosphere for a, a kid from Eastern New Mexico to to move into. But I, I really did. I enjoyed my time there. The campus is beautiful. Um, but, you know, there's just a lot of energy, I think, in a college town. So I yeah. really liked it. Yeah. No, I grew up in Southeastern Washington State and, and you know, we had trees behind us or up the hill, but we didn't have trees down where I was at. I would get claustrophobic if I was surrounded by trees, I think. So I, I got to yeah. be able to see. So right now I can see 60 miles or 50 miles down to Pikes Peak and the whole front range. So I, I definitely enjoy that. So what is what is your current role at Texas A&M? Yeah, so my, my official title is an assistant professor and extension specialist in agricultural law. And, you know, they say the longer the title, the less important the job. So that may be the case. Um, but basically, I get to uh, travel around the state and provide educational information to rural landowners and ag producers about legal issues that affect them. Okay. And so I have statewide responsibilities and, you know, Texas is a pretty large state. Yeah. So that can be yeah. an interesting, an interesting um, situation, but it's a lot of fun, right? So I get to go to producer meetings and extension meetings and, you know, industry, things like that, and talk to people about legal issues. So that can be anything from, you know, fence law, water law, landowner liability, contracts, um, lots in the news recently dealing with pesticide registrations. So yep. those are kind of some examples of, of what I get to do. So what is the most contentious for landowners? Is it fencing? I hear fencing can be a, a contentious subject for landowners. It can be. And interestingly enough, I, I always tell people if somebody calls me and they've got a question about a fence or a tree, nine times out of 10, it's not really about the fence or the tree, right? It's probably a deeper neighbor dispute. So yeah. um, there's definitely some of that. You know, in Texas, I think there's always issues related to water. Same I'm in Colorado um, and throughout the West for sure. So I think water is always a pretty contentious issue. Uh, you know, another thing that we're seeing in Texas, especially kind of in central Texas in the Hill Country, is so many properties uh, being kind of chopped up into smaller pieces. Um and that brings with it a whole host of different legal issues, you know, everything from easements and landlocked property to, you know, neighbors moving out into the country that don't know what that might be like. So yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's lots of of issues having to do with that as well. Now, I'm assuming in Texas, like most other states, zoning is still at the county level, typically, at least in, in the states I've been, it's at the county level. Is that Correct. still true in Texas? It is. Yes. Yes. You know, I've got some friends who practice on the East Coast and it's much different 
uh, there when they've got really kind of robust zoning statutes at, at different levels. But yeah, here um, it would be kind of county or even, you know, sometimes like city zoning ordinances. And there's what, like 250 some counties in the state of Texas, if my memory's right? 254. That's right. Okay. Yep. Well, then I was, uh, I was pretty close. So Very about, good. Yeah. about a thousand miles per county. So uh, <laughs> right. but, uh, your counties aren't big, but your state is. So uh, that's right. Cause like uh, I lived in Oregon for a while and there's three or four, I think there's three or four counties in Oregon that are over 10,000 miles or pretty close to it. So wow. of course, California has got the largest county. I think San Bernardino County I think, yeah, it's in the U.S. because Alaska doesn't have counties and San Bernardino is like 18,000 square miles or 20 or something like that. So wow. I think it's San Bernardino, not Riverside. So, but uh, you, you never know what you're going to learn on the top producer podcast. So say, this might be uh, handy for yeah. trivia one day. Yeah. What are some of the other major issues that that sometimes arise for your farmer or ranchers? Yeah, you know, I do a lot of work um, with, various leases. So whether that's like a grazing lease or a farm lease, hunting leases, uh, solar, wind, oil and gas, all of those, you know, are, are big issues. And I think we'll continue to see those be pretty big issues, particularly as we see more and more kind of absentee landowners yep. um, that own that own Texas, you know, rural property. Uh, estate planning, always a huge issue for rural landowners and one that we really try to to preach to people about, you know, needing to get a move on and and don't wait until there's an emergency, right? Let's yep. have a plan now. So yep. that's another area where I spend a lot of time. What what are you seeing in Texas on solar leases? Are you seeing more and more of that coming up or is there getting some resistance in Texas to those? I'm I'm just curious what you're seeing in that state. Yeah, I I would say yes to both. So on the one hand, yes, I think there are more and more solar companies coming into Texas looking to lease land. Uh, I've got a couple of friends who do a lot of solar work in private practice, and they've been slammed for the last year or so with leases. Um, as far as pushback on those, yes, oftentimes you'll see neighboring landowners who maybe aren't interested in a solar lease uh, who are pushing back on the on the neighbor who's wanting to do one. And, and so we've seen a lot of fights, you know, kind of with the community up in arms, kind of the pro-solar people versus the anti-solar people. And so that's definitely been an issue we've seen throughout the state. Yeah, I know. And again, I lived in Washington state before I moved to Colorado and there's a big project just outside of Kennewick, Washington, Tri-Cities. And I think it's going to be three or 4,000 acres of solar plus maybe some wind. And mm -hmm. everybody in the town is like, hey, this is half a mile from our, our, our school and so on, this, 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 this is sort of a blight. And, and again, you have the state in Washington state, they're very progressive at the, over on the West side. So the, they're passing laws that will trump any of the County or city ordinances and so on. So it, it'll be an interesting battle to see how that finally ends up. Absolutely. Yeah. How about, uh, um, would you say your practice is more dealing with ranchers versus farmers or is it 50, 50, or does it just depend on what part of the state you're in? Yeah, the latter. So it really does completely depend on, on where you're located. You know, there are, are pockets of the state where it, almost everybody farms, right? Uh, cotton country here in Texas, there are a lot of, of cotton producers. Obviously, you know, we have the largest cattle and sheep herds in the, in the country. So there are a lot of ranchers as well. Like I say, I do a lot of work kind of in the hill country where you've got some, uh, you know, producers, 
But you've got a lot of just rural landowners who maybe don't have uh, an ag production background or don't have an ag operation, but they live in rural parts of the state and, and maybe they're doing things like agritourism or hunting leases. Uh, vineyards are, are a huge draw in some parts of Texas. So it really does depend a little bit on where you're located. Um, I, I get to deal with all those different types of folks. Now, vineyards, I'm, I'm just curious, because again, where I grew up, there's now like, I think, 125 vineyards in the, or wineries in the Walla Walla area. Yeah. Where is the pocket of, is it in that hill country where the vineyards are at? I'm just curious where most of them so, are at. So it's actually interesting. Most of the like vineyards that are producing the, the majority of Texas wine grapes are located in the High Plains. Okay. So, you know, kind of uh, real popular, like in the Lubbock area. Yeah. Um, historically cotton country yeah um, there are lots of grapes grown there now as far as like the vineyards where people want to like come for the weekend and go out and wine taste and things like that uh that's very much hill country kind of like the fredericksburg area yeah yep, yep. and so um they're, they're sort of two the two different pockets obviously work together but those are where they're located okay well it's just like any any state uh you know again i'll go back to washington a lot of the really nice wineries over in Woodenville, Washington, which is a suburb of Seattle, but all the grapes are grown over in the eastern side, whether it's Columbia Basin or Walla Walla Valley or Red Mountain or whatever. So uh, sure. I, I think most states are like that. So, well, uh, Tiffany, we're going to go ahead and take a quick sponsor message break, and then we'll come back and talk about some of your other communication offerings that you have for farmers and ranchers. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi, a blue diamond farming company in Jessup, Iowa, know RoboAgri Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site, or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Robo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance. RoboAgri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, RoboAgri Finance. Welcome back, everyone, to the Top Producer Podcast. This is Paul Meef, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Tiffany Dow Lashnet from Texas A&M. Uh, so, Tiffany, you you go around the state uh, to various uh, grower meetings, rancher meetings, and so on, but you also have both a blog and a podcast. So let's let's start with the blog. Uh, and again, I have a blog myself, or I've had mm -hmm. blogs. Uh, what or let's go through the background. What what is it on? How did you decide to start it? When did you start it? Uh, all those details for the audience here. Sure. Yeah. So it, it's called the Texas Agriculture Law Blog. Um, you can Google that. And although it it has Texas in the title, and that is my primary focus, it really covers issues kind of on a nationwide basis. So uh, folks from anywhere may want to check that out um, and and find useful information there. You know, I started this right when I first started my job, so about 10 and a half years ago, uh, and it was interesting because at that point, kind of nobody in extension in Texas had a blog presence. That just wasn't something people were doing. 
Um, but I just thought, you know, I, I had a personal blog where I wrote and I read a lot of blogs and it just seemed like it'd be a good way to get information out to people. Uh, and like I said, I started about uh, 10 and a half years ago. We're still going strong. We've got a, a good group of sponsors that help us with that. We've got a, a great readership. Um, and it's a really, it's a fun project, you know, for a couple of reasons. A, I I work really hard to try to put kind of practical, useful information out there for folks. Yep. But a benefit to me that I've seen in, in my career is it, it makes me keep up with things, mm -hmm. right? So when there is some sort of breaking news issue, I got to read up on it and, and be conversant so I can write a blog post about it. So from, from my perspective, somebody in my role, I found that to be really useful. About how often do you post on your blog? So I post every Monday. So I do okay. a, a, a different topic every Monday. And that can range from, you know, here's a summary of a court decision to here's a checklist I wrote to here's a handbook or an overview of a law. Um, so it's a pretty wide variety. I post every Monday. And then I also post every other Friday, something that I call the weekly roundup. Yep. And that's yep. where I pick, you know, five or six different stories in the news, kind of with the ag law uh, connection and just share a quick, you know, sentence or two about that with a link folks can go read. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I started a blog almost exactly 15 years ago. I think mm -hmm. the first blog post I had was March something of 20 or 2009. So since this is 2024, that would be 15 years. So, uh, yeah. but, uh, and I've done, uh, I don't know how many thousands of posts, so uh, I, I I won't keep track of them. But uh, now you also do a podcast just like myself. So what is that uh, podcast? What does it do? How does it work? And and so on. Sure. So it's called Ag Law in the Field. Um, and we're on all the podcast apps or you can just Google it. We've got a, a website with all the episodes. Um, I started that in 2016. Uh, truthfully, I had been out on maternity leave. Uh, I've got a couple of kids and I started listening to podcasts uh, and I loved them. And I thought, you know, I think I can do that. And so started that podcast in, in the spring of 2016. Uh, I think we're now about 170 episodes in. Um, and what I do is every episode, I just interview an ag lawyer or other expert in, in an issue on a different ag law topic. And okay. so it's really fun, right? And I mean, the, the key to that being successful has been, I've got really smart friends and connections who've been willing to come on and talk about, you know, like I say, everything from estate planning to, you know, Supreme Court decisions to, you know, Texas water law. Uh, it, it's been a really fun project um, to do. And like I say, I think it, I think it's great information. You know, so much of that it's stuff where if somebody, there's a, a legal issue they're interested in or worried about, they may not want to go pay a lawyer to get background information, right? A lot of this background you can get for free with that podcast. Yep. Yep. Is there any of those that in your memory sort of strike you as being memorable? Yeah. So, you know, um, we did an episode, I think it was the beginning of 22, maybe could have been 23. Uh, but it was the first episode we released that year, and it was called Ag Law Lessons from Yellowstone. Oh. <laughs> and so I had two of my friends come on, and we all watched the show, and we talked about, okay, let's run through some of the ag law issues that have come up on that TV show and talk about, like, how do we see these in practice? Was it realistic? You know, how would this have played out in the real world? So that one was a lot of fun. Um, oh. I enjoyed that. 
I'll have oh, to go sure. back and listen to that. And so did, yeah. did you take anybody to the train station on that episode? Uh, we, we did discuss that, you know, there's no statute of limitations on murder. And so the, the train station may not be the best plan. Um, so, so I got to ask, who's your favorite character? Oh, we talked about that on the show. You know, I, I don't remember who I said on the, on the podcast. I think what we asked was who would you want to represent? Uh, I, I guess my favorite character on the show, I probably go with Kevin Cosner. Okay. See, I'm, I'm Rip. Rip's number one. Yeah, Beth. I do. I, I do enjoy Rip. As far as from a legal perspective, I don't probably want him as a client. <laughs> that as you could imagine. Yeah. So. And you don't want to ask him, you know, don't tell me whether you're guilty or not. So. Exactly. There's some questions you don't ask. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then, yeah. and again, this is somebody you wouldn't want to represent. Beth would be, you know, one B. Oh, she, then... she'd be worse than Rip. Don't you think? I mean, <laughs> you know, like they're both doing terrible things, but she's going to like blab about them. He at least tries to keep some of that secret. So now who's the other brother that, that Beth didn't like? Or oh, Jamie, Jamie. See, most people hate Jamie, but I like him because he's very believable in what he does in the character. You know, he's, he's, you know, some people, you know, they play the bad and they play it too bad. He's just, you know, he's just a miserable human being. So mm -hmm. I think that's right. Well, I'll tell you, you know, initially I felt kind of bad for him because it was like, yeah, probably it's because I empathize, right? He's a lawyer. And here he is like, he spent his whole life trying to clean up this family's mess and then it all just fell apart. So initially yeah. I felt bad for him. I don't like him now, but, yeah. but yeah. in the beginning I was like, I feel bad for this poor lawyer. Yeah. And I think I'm the same as you, although, you know, the last year episode now, I know they're still getting ready to tape the final final, but mm -hmm. I haven't seen the last year's episode. I just haven't had a, I don't watch much TV at all. You know, I mm -hmm. might have a sport event on, but uh, I'm sort of like you, I'm reading up on too much stuff to keep going on my blog right. and the podcast. So, right. so that was one. Was there another one? Um, you know, we did an episode. This was really fun, at least for me. Episode number 100, I had my dad come on. Mm -hmm. uh, and my dad, you know, like I said, we've we've got a family farm and ranch. And and we talked just through some of his experiences and kind of the story of uh, him keeping that ranch together. He was a teenager when his uh, dad died of a heart attack. And he really, you know, worked and kind of sacrificed his whole life to keep that farm and ranch going. So we talked about that and then some of the ag law issues that he's dealt with or seen over the years. And so that one was really fun um, to have that kind of memorialized. And you mentioned that they have a show sheep uh, operation. Is that right? We do. Yeah. Yeah. So, My family raises show lambs uh, and we sell them all over the country. So would that be to 4-H kids or FFA uh -huh. kids or? or yes. Yeah. Both 4-H and FFA kids. And then we also sell some, some breeding sheep to folks that are raising them as well. But uh, yeah, our primary uh, audience is 4-H and FFA kids. So how do you ship those? I mean, do they bring a trailer or if you're, you're in New Mexico and somebody in New Jersey wants to buy one. So how does, yeah. how does it get to New Jersey? Yeah, it's interesting. So um, what, you know, one thing is there's lots of like big sales kind of all over the country. And so typically we offer, you know, we can get them a ride to these four sales or whatever, you know, Okay. okay. because people are going, if that doesn't work and, and we do this a lot, there are a couple of companies that drive back and forth across the country with giant trailers uh, kind, of, kind of all the time and you don't know what animals may be in there right <laughs> sheep pigs cattle uh i saw a llama um you just don't know and you load them on there and then they take them where they go and deliver them so that's okay. a whole industry unto itself okay 
that's probably not one I want to do, but uh, maybe someday if, if, right. if the podcast doesn't uh, play out, <laughs> I'll, I'll start delivering sheep. So have um, well, you know, we're getting close to the end of the podcast and this has been very interesting certainly for me I, I enjoy this type of stuff but uh, I always got a few questions I like to ask so first one is uh, who is your mentor yeah you know as I thought about this I've really had kind of various mentors I think throughout my life um you know I guess kind of starting off in high school I had a phenomenal ag teacher who was uh, just one of my favorite people and really pushed me and believed in me and so I credit him with a lot of my success uh, when I got into kind of the, the legal realm, my first boss, uh, his name is Chuck Pfeiffer. He's a lawyer in New Mexico, and he really taught me how to be a lawyer and, and think critically and kind of do what I do. You know, now there's a really great group of ag lawyers around the country um, that have become some of my best friends. And I think that probably I would say that they're my mentors. You know, we all work on the same issues. We can bounce things off of each other. I've just learned a lot, like I say, about um, the industry and ag law in general, and, and also, you know, things like work-life balance and how to raise kids while you're trying to do this from them. So so that group of ag lawyers, I think, have been um, hugely important to me. Okay, good, good. And sounds like you have some kids, but do you have time for any hobbies? I do, I do. Uh, one of them, probably my biggest hobby, goes right around those kids, uh, and that's showing livestock. And okay. so... Uh, my kids aren't quite old enough yet to to show through 4-H and FFA, but we have spent the last couple of years showing uh, many Hereford cattle um, around Texas and have just had the best time. Uh, we love getting to do that. My kids love it, which is a real blessing. Um, and we get to do it together as a family, which we really enjoy. Um, the other thing, I, I, I'm a runner, so I like to run. Um, I like to read you know, kind of those hobbies when you can make time to do them, I, I enjoy. So what type of reading do you like to do? Well, you know, I, historically, I would have said I, I really enjoy kind of nonfiction books, uh, memoirs or kind of, I don't know, self-helpy type things. But in the last couple of years, I've started reading more fiction and I've really enjoyed those. So I, I read, a, read a pretty wide variety of, of titles. Yeah, I'm... Uh... You know, I, I read so much business-related stuff during my work mm -hmm. day that uh, when I read for pleasure, which I still read 100, 150 books a year, it's primarily oh, wow. like thrillers, mysteries, you know, that type of stuff. So matter of fact, I Do got you... another three or four on my um, Kindle that I just downloaded. So I got to get those done here in the next few days. That's what I was going to ask. Do you do them like on the Kindle or audiobooks or how do you how do you read them? I, I, I've tried the audio. Now, I know you can fast forward if i do regular speed on audio it's so slow i mean i'm Same. just like oh, okay Same. um and and i'm i'm not as you know people ask are you a speed reader and i go no i read a, i cruise at about 100 pages an hour that's just cruising speed mm -hmm. um and i read every word you know if i'm yeah. spending 15 bucks on a book i want to read every word you know if i sped read yeah, I could have it done in, you know, a book that takes me four hours, I'd have done in 30 minutes, but that, sure. that's not my pleasure. So sure, um, sure. So I, I just enjoy reading. So I've done that since I think, because I went to a school that only had six kids in a classroom, like, excuse mm -hmm. me, in a class in first and second uh -huh. grade was in one classroom, third and fourth grade was in cl one classroom. When I was in third grade, the teacher noticed I was getting sort of bored and she knew when I got to fourth grade that I had already sort of memorized what was happening in fourth grade. So she said, start reading books. So I, I started yeah. reading books. And I think 
my record, I think in sixth grade, I, I read, including the summer, I read like 575 books or something. I was- Wow, I was, that's amazing. Yeah, I was just a reader. So, but, uh, well, that's enough about me. So- <laughs> That's great. It, though, though, it's interesting. Is there anything that keeps you up at night? Besides uh, kids? Laundry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I truthfully- I, I have found parenting to be really rewarding and also something I really uh, spend a lot of time thinking about. Right. So, you know, I, I think a lot about, you know, are we, are we doing this right? Are we teaching them what they need to know? Are we putting too much pressure on them? All of those things. So, so probably, you know, wanting to be a really good parent is something that keeps me up at night. Uh, when I, when I first had kids, I had a friend that said, you know, if you're worrying about stuff, I think that means you're a good mom. And so I hope that's true because I've kind of, hung on to that, right? If you're trying and you're worried about it, you're probably a, a good parent. So. Okay. Okay. That's, that's a good sign. So, uh, and then uh, uh, what's your definition of success, either in farming or in what you do and so on and so forth? Yeah. So, I mean, when I think about, you know, farming and ranching and being involved in ag, and, and this may be a little bit because of my background, but it's such a, a family centered um, lifestyle to me. And I, I, you know, I told you my dad was on my podcast and he talked about being able to raise a family with this lifestyle was the best part of the farm for him, for sure. And so, you know, for me, I think the success in farming is being able to do this with your family, um, everybody, you know, being engaged and interested and enjoying being able to to be a part of that operation. I think that's a definition of success. And it's something that, like I said, I've, I've seen in my own family, um, really enjoyed, and I think we've all really benefited from. So I think that's what I would say my definition of success would be. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, is there anything you'd like to add before we sign off? No, I just, Paul, this was really enjoyable. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Well, and I think uh, maybe we'll have another uh, podcast conversation maybe in a year or so, see what's going on in Texas. Well, there's lots of, of legal issues moving all the time, so I'd love to do that. Okay. Again, this is the Top Producer Podcast, and this is Paul Neefe, your host, signing off. Uh,